coming. Thank you, Reverend. Great. All right. Well, thank you for that introduction. Thank you for all the sponsors. Uh, it's a big zikhut to be here tonight in the yeshiva. It's the best place to be at all times, especially on uh, Thursday night, Leil Mishmar. It's a breath of fresh air to come along and see all the B'nai Torah, the army of Hashem in front of us. Uh, Baruch Hashem. Um, our tradition says that there's Yiridata Dorot, that generations descend, although we could say in our community that we're having Aliyata Dorot, that the generations we see are having something out of the ordinary. So Aklal, that there's a Aliyah, there's an elevation in the generation, like the Gemara says, Akshiradare, the generation is quite kosher, quite kasher and quite fine, it's because of fellows like yourselves that are dedicating uh, the majority of all of the day and night to the study of Torah. We have no other, we have no other business, we have no other vocation except for the study of Torah. I recently saw a, uh, a story uh, when Rabbi Desla passed away, Alaba Shalom, of Desla from Mechtav Eliyahu, so they gave Hespedim for Abedesla in Panovich. And at the time, the chief rabbi of Israel was Rabbi Herzog. Rabbi Herzog got up to be Maspid. He knew him from London, so they had a keshit. And in the middle of the dirash, there was one of the older Bahurim, who eventually became a Gadol himself, I won't say his name. And he was, I guess, some sort of a uh, Kanai. And, you know, here's a rabbi from the government, you know, Tsiyoinis, the Rabbanut, and he's going to come into Panovich and give his stand, you know, for, for Rabbi Desla. So he uh, is nudging his way into the Bet Midrash, and he has three rocks in his hand. And one of the Rabbanut says, what do you think you're doing over here? He says, the guy's a Batlan. He doesn't learn. He's all day long with Rabbanut and the government, stuff like that. I'm going I'm to count them down. There's no right to... He has no right to be in Panovich. He has no right to give his paper for Rabbi Desla. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show him. So this rabbi over here said, hey, this is going to be a terrible thing. So he tried to talk him out of it. And he tried to stalling tactics until Rabbi Herzog was finished. Okay? So he saved the day. Later on, the rabbi that stopped this Bahur saw Rav Aaron Cutler. And he told Rav Aaron what happened. And he said, the guy wanted to throw stones at Rabbi Herzog, and his claim was, he's not a Tamid Hakam. Why is he not a Tamid Hakam? Because he wastes time, he's dealing with the Rabbanut, he's dealing with you know, government stuff uh, part of the day. So, so the rabbi asked Rabbi Aaron, is he right? If a person is involved in other things besides learning, can he be called a Tamid Hakam? So Ravaran said, a tamid hacham is somebody that in every spare minute and moment that they have, his head's in the book. I asked to eat, that doesn't take away from tamid hacham. I asked to sleep, 
Aye, maybe he has to go out a little and exercise. I might have to go out and uh, make a little panasa for here and there. But once everything is said and done, he goes back to the book. That's Geder Tamid Hacham. Turns out, there's a Rosh like that. That says that a person is considered Torato Umanuto, so long as he spends all of his free time that he has in learning. And it's not a contradiction if we have other Tirdot that we have to deal with, that doesn't take away from the Shem Tamid Hacham. And then he finished and said, and trust me, this Rabbi Herzog is a Tamid Hacham. Although he's busy with other things, but the moment he has a spare moment that he's finished with all his you know, government responsibilities, boom, he's back in the book. So the yeshiva guy was wrong for making this kanal. Uh, so I can say about all the uh, tzaddikim, the matmidim that are assembled here tonight, you are tabidihachamim. We don't measure tabidihachamim by how much you know necessarily. That's, a, that's not a, a, an accurate way to measure scholarship by your IQ or how much you know by heart or if you know quote pages and you know from here to there uh, maybe you're gifted with a good memory Tabir Hakam the gear that is do you have your head in the book are you learning at every spare moment that you have and Baruch Hashem as I understand that the members here in the yeshiva are mostly attending three starim so that's that's the day and that's the night uh, and I suspect that many of you in Ben Asdarim as well uh, probably find yourselves opening a sefer. I remember when I studied in Lakewood, um, one of the things that shocked me at the time, this is 1989, 1990, uh, what shocked me was is that uh, Ben Asdarim, the yeshiva packed out. Everybody went back to the dormitories or wherever they went. And there was, I mean, less than a minyana guys that stayed in yeshiva proper. I was one of them, me and my friend Danny Towel. We would stay and we'd go into the Otsar Asfarim and we would learn. And we finished just during Ben Astarim, you know, several masichtot outside of what they were learning in the yeshiva. And uh, then the last 15 minutes of Ben Astarim, we put our head down on the table. Okay, we washed our eyes, then we went upstairs for second seder. So, I'm sure there are many of you guys like that over here also. That you do what you have to do during the break, and then you come back and you have a, a, a seder outside of the seder of the limudim. So you could catch. This is the age where you catch stuff. Learn another masechet, another humash uh, rashi, or nevi'im. I used to learn with Rabbi uh, Tekatsky. Rabbi Tekatsky was the the father-in-law of Ramakil Katla, who was one of the top students of Avaran Katla, Rav Zev Tekatsky. He was Mahabrutan Atered for the first three years after I got married. He was a Rosh Hashiva. Don't ask how I got him to be a Habruta, but that's what happened. Uh, somebody must have paid him a lot of money to learn with me, and, and he accepted. So I was lucky. And uh, his, he had an interesting that we, we learned Kiddushin and Gitin, and uh, he would sit down, and the first thing he would open up Navi, first 10 minutes of the Seder, and he would read two, three chapters, quickly look at Rashi, quickly review it, and he said, listen, we gotta cover everything over here. We cannot only learn, uh, you know, where it's in front of us, of course, that's the Ikat, that's the main entree, but we have to grab other things as well. And just from those 10 minutes that we did every day, 
We finished by the end of the year. We already finished two, three, four, five uh, different books from Yeshua and Shufetim and Aleph, Shufetim and Aleph and Bet, Malachim, etc. So that's the age to do it. Uh, you have time is on your side, and therefore you could be a, uh, uh, you know, a, you know, what you're going to learn at this age is going to stick. The brain is still, uh, uh, is still, is still gluey, still has the absorption. You get to my age already, you know, we're relying on what we remember from Girsadi and Kuta, but uh, Girsa, the new Girsa, it's really hard to, to get it in. And uh, they asked me to come tonight. Uh, shows how desperate the yeshiva is. <laughs> but I did accept to come. Now that my son is studying in the yeshiva, um, I'll ask a personal favor from all the members over here to make sure you take care of my boy, Jacob, that's here. And I'm very proud of that. And uh, so how can I not come now to the yeshiva that my boy uh, studies in? So I'm doing that to support my son, primarily. But I'm glad that I came. They told me that it's the yard site of the Zerah Shimshon. I'm not such a keen guy on yard sites, exactly, to know the tzaddikim, when they died and all that stuff, but they made me aware of it. They said they're giving out books. I do know about the Zerah Shimshon. He was a great, great coming hakam of Shimshon Hayim Nahmani, Alava Shalom. He lived in the 1700s. He has to be great because, first of all, the book that he produced is nothing short of Geonut in Pardesa Torah. I mean, something remarkable. The Hida, Rav Hida, talks about the Zerah Shimshon in the highest praises. He had correspondence with the Orahim Kadosh, So that was his, uh, you know, his contemporary. And he wrote a song that they sang at the wedding of Ramhal. So that's his, uh, that's his Hebra. He was a rabbi in Italy in different communities. And the story is that the Zerah Shimshon did not have any surviving children. Uh, they passed away. And uh, maybe that's, I think that's why he called it Zerah Shimshon. His book was his, was his Zerah, his uh, he produced, I once heard, the Orahim Kadosh uh, did not have children. And I once heard an explanation why he didn't have children. I thought it's remarkable that all of the Kawah, the Holid, the Kawah to produce the Orahim Kadosh channeled it in learning. And therefore, he did Piriyah but it was all in learning. And therefore, there was nothing left. He was, he was, he, 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 he channeled his Kawah Holada. It's, it's like what the Gemara says with Ben Azai, when they told him, you know, get married. His Hashkiba Torah. His Heshek was too focused on Torah, and therefore, he, what could he produce? Orahim Kadosh, he produced tremendous, but. It's spiritual production, and that's what the Zerah Shimshon did. He produced a spiritual product, a book, a sefer, which is, which is interesting. Uh, the last mitzvah in the Torah is to write a sefer Torah, or a sefer. And the first mitzvah in the Torah is Piriyah And the Hakamim said there's a connection. That uh, uh, there's a connection between the last mitzvah and the first mitzvah. That these are two forms of Piriyah 
Writing a sefer is one form, that's a spiritual uh, uh, donation, and then there's the physical. And it's, Pasuk says in Bereshit, ze sefer, todota adam. That sometimes todota adam could be the sefer itself. And it's interesting that, without getting too explicit, but even when you're writing a sefer, the diyor is like the zera, and the paper is the mekabel, and then the words become the, the, the product. So it has the same elements of Piriyavrivya as well. So, and, 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 and I, I think there's a remis to this. Uh, I didn't see this in a surface, my own. So, I mean, put an asterisk next to your notes that it's probably not so accurate. But what I would say as a remis is that when you go to a wedding, you go to a hatuna, so we're seeing the physical. Um, uh, people in front of you, but even in the most yeshivish wedding, the dress code is the same. The hatan is always in black, and the kala is always in white, which is uh, uh, the exact way we write a book. It's on white paper, and it's with black ink. And therefore, that we're reminding hatan kala that not only is it the physical, but it's a book as well. It has the same imagery as what a book would look like. Um, so the Rab writes the book and he uh, writes in the beginning of the book somewhere that whoever reads the book and whoever publishes the book and whoever says over the from the book, he'll be an advocate for them in Shamayim for all good stuff. And Supposedly, there's thousands of testimonies throughout the world of people that needed Yeshuot of some sort, and they were on themselves to learn and what do you know? They had Yeshuot. They asked Rav Chaim Kanievsky, is it true that the stipler learned from the book? And he said, yes, absolutely. So already, the Kedolim in the last generation knew about it, and they asked Rav Chaim, Kedai to learn from the book? He said, yeah, they said, how long? Yeah, five minutes a day. Okay, obviously you're not going to have a seder in Zerah Shimshon, obviously, but, you know, five minutes here and there to get one, uh, one item, that's enough to get the tzaddik to be a militiosheh for us. So, doesn't need our haskama, the book, but it seems that the Kedolim of our generation already were on it, and I don't know why, but every book has a mazal, uh, it's probably something to do in Kabbalah that, you know, why is it now all of a sudden that this book that was written uh, 300 years ago, all of a sudden now is, it, it became a craze. Uh, everybody's reading it in English, and there's so many but all of a sudden, everything has a mazal, for whatever reason, Bori Olam was waiting for this generation to push out this type of learning and this type of Torah. So, Baruch Hashem, we're fortunate. Tonight's the Yorzeit. So, if you're not in the yeshiva, then on the Yorzeit, you light a candle, and uh, you go make a couple of berachot on some, uh, some kake, and some, uh, you know, whatever it is, and you call it a day. That's the Ama'aret's way of doing uh, a Yorzeit. You know, eat a couple of mezonot, uh, perot, berachot, say a little... Uh, uh, light a candle, as I said, and then call it a day. Go watch some TV. But in, in yeshiva, in yeshiva, 
the way we make a, a memorial for the tzaddikim is to learn their words. We're not Amaris over here. We know how to learn. We open up and learning all day long. So therefore, one time somebody came to Rabbi Ades, one of these, you know, maskilines, wise guys, and uh, he tells uh, Rabbi Ades, he says, "Do you know when the Rashi was born?" He says, you know, was, uh, when he died, no, I don't know when he died, you know where he's buried, you know how many children he had, you know where he lived, all these type of, uh, you know, uh, uh, facts. So after the guy finished, he's trying to show the rabbi, yeah, you see that these guys don't know anything. So Rabbi Adir says, he knows when he was born, he knows when he died, he knows where he was buried, but I know what he said. Which is, the, which is the main thing. That she doesn't care if you don't know his yard side or his birthday. What she cares to us is, what did I say? And that's the same thing with the Zed Hashem Shon. Very good. History, go to Wikipedia, go see all about the Zed Hashem Shon. You can learn a lot. But that's not going to get us anywhere, and it's not going to... The Zed Hashem Shon only promises us this uh, prayer and advocacy if we say over his Torah. So, I don't want to keep the... Uh, Members here too long. Of course, these days we have early mornings. So I'll just give you one selection uh, that he has at the beginning of the parasha. So we're reading parasha Shofetim, story of the judges. Shofetim v'shotirim, titen necha b'chol sharecha. So judges you should place, titen necha, it's talking to the individual. Every individual has an obligation to try to set up courts it should say And that's the And as a general rule, whenever you see the word ha'am, it usually means the, the wise guys. The Zora Kadosh, for example, anytime it says ha'am, it's the Elif or when the mitonenim are complaining, it's called ha'am. Those are usually the riffraff, the troublemakers. Well, I guess v'shafetu ta'am. What only the troublemakers deserve to get judged? And what if you have a case? The uven and shimon have a monetary case. No one's troublemakers. They just have a dispute. They have a, a misunderstanding. Uh, it's not only for the am. So why does the pasuk obviously v'shafetu ta'am, implying that justice is only for the for the troublemakers, for the wise guys. And lastly, his question is, Mishpat Siddiq. Mishpat Siddiq sounds like a, a, a ruling that is just. Mishpat is the ruling, Siddiq is just. That makes sure the verdict is correct. Esterav. The Torah is only concerned about the verdict. What about the process? I mean, in Betin, you learn Gemara, Sanhedrin, there's, there's rules how, the, the, how Betin has to function. So Betin is not only concerned about the result, that they got the right answer, they should be concerned about getting to the right answer. But from this pasuk, it just sounds like the main thing is Mishpat Sedek, that the ruling is just, get there however you get there. And Estrav, what happened to the process? So he has three answers to this question. It's your lucky night. I'm going to give you all three. Answer number one is based on a Gemara. 
with Mori Bar Isak. So this guy, Mori Bar Isak, as you remember, was a bully. He was a alam. Alam is a bully, tough guy. And we have a general rule that when you come into court, the one that's holding the, the money or holding the karka is in a strong position. You're trying to take money out of my pocket? I'm the muhzak. I'm holding it. <laughs> you, uh, the burden of proof is on you. You have to bring edim. You have to make shivuot. Not me. I'm holding the money. Therefore, therefore the, the law is on my side. You want to take away my uh, status? The burden of proof is always on the, uh, the plaintiff that's coming to take money. It's the rule. So Mori Bar Isak comes into the court and he's sitting on, uh, he's sitting on property, he's sitting on money. So the Rav comes in and says, all right, uh, what's the claim? And he says, uh, the other guy says, he owes me money. So the rabbi tells Mori, make a swear that that's your money. Mori says, hold it, hold it, hold it. Changing the Torah. I'm the Mohzak. Is that the law? And the rabbi told him, for guys like you, that's the law. Because you're a bully. He's scared to bring witnesses. Because he knows if he brings his witnesses, you'll kill them. So he's intimidated. So in a case where you have an alam that intimidates the plaintiff from bringing witnesses, so then the rule is, we are not going to let you escape. Because you think you're going to use the Torah law to get away. Says, ah, this guy's afraid to, to, to bring witnesses because he does not kill them, and therefore I can hold on to the property. No, even though you're the muhzak, you got to swear. That's what he told them. Now, even though that's not the normal process, you see, we sacrifice the process over here in order to get to justice. And therefore, he learns the pasuk like this. ha'am. Ha'am is the bullies, the alam, like Mori Bar Isa. Sometimes you have to judge the people and you have to get to Siddiq. Get to the right verdict, even though you're not going to follow the, the normal procedure. Even though you're going to break the, the normal rule of in some cases when you're judging the am, it's more important mishpat tzedek than the tzedek of the mishpat. That's the first, uh, the first offering. It's a nice, uh, nice answer, nice deal. The second uh, interpretation that he has is based on an opinion of uh, the Rosh. A very interesting Rosh. It's brought that in Hosha Mishpat as well. I'm sure you learned it, and it's in Masikat Ketuvot as well, it's in different Gemariyot, where they talk about Din Merumeh. What is Din Merumeh? Din Merumeh is that sometimes a judge has a feeling that the guy in front of him is lying. But he's saying all the right things. He has all the right ta'anot, he has all the right claims. I mean, but the judge knows, because the judge has a feeling that this guy is using the law to get a, 
to get trickery. He's an Amai. But he's a Taminachan Amai. He knows how to use the law to his advantage. What I mean to say is, if you would take this guy's claim and put it in the computer, the computer would come out and say, he's right. But we don't judge with computers. We have human beings. We have rabbis in the court. And the rabbis have an element that a computer doesn't have. And that is the fifth sense. They say, ah, something smells over here. Something's fishy over here. And the guy's got all the claims that ah, something doesn't add up. Something doesn't. That's called din merubeh. Din merubeh. That's what the Gemara says many times. A judge has to be dan etadin emet la amito. Az emet la amito. Emet. No, emet la amito la apuke din merubeh. It could be emet, meaning the claims add up, but it's merubeh. Emet la amito means it's not only adding up on the ta'anot, but the judge believes that the man is telling the truth. He's authentic. There's, a, there's, a, there's an honesty here. So let's say a judge suspects that this guy over here, the Uven, is an expert to and he has all the claims in the world, but he's an amai. So Betin has to write a, 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 a letter. No court is allowed to take the Uven's claims. Not only the court that suspects him, but they have to put out a uh, a maha'ah, big sign in the shul. If the uven comes to the court, the court is not allowed to adjudicate uh, this case. Why? And we're not in the business over here of uh, letting Ramayim use the Torah law to make money. Therefore, they're banned from all the courts. Says the Rosh, that that's only when the Ramai is the Tobeya. Well, he's trying to get money. And we're not going to let him get money in a, you know, in a, in a halachic uh, deception. But if he's the nitva, if we're trying to get money out of him, then adraba, then the judges are supposed to judge and we try to make sure that he doesn't rip off somebody else. So in that case over there, we must judge the case and we must make sure that he doesn't use his trickery in order to hold on to somebody else's money. Says the Zayr HaShemshon, V'shafetu et ha'am. Who's the am? Again, these rabbaim. V'shafetu et ha'am, mishpat sedek. You only judge when you think you'll be able to do justice. But if by judging it's going to bring you to injustice, because you're going to have din minumeh, then you're not allowed to judge the case. Which is interesting, which means, you would assume, what do you mean, every court always is sedek. No. You could have the right answer, but it's wrong. And therefore the pasuk is saying, when it comes to these ramayim, only judge them when you think you could do good, when you think you could do justice, when he's the nitva, and you could retrieve money from the nitva and give it to the toveya, then, then judge it. But if he's the toveya, don't let him use your court in order to get money out of somebody else, even though it looks right, but that's not called mishpat sedek. That's din mirumeh. Nice. The third selection is based on the Ramah and Hosher Mishpat as well. And the Ramah 
very interesting case, says, let's say you have a Dayan again, and he suspects that this guy over here, he's a Ganav. He has money by him, or she has money by her, that's not hers, not his. But again, it can't be proven. But the Dayanim have, you know, certain senses or certain beliefs. And we have to trust the Dayanim. Like we learned in this week's parasha, Yamin Semol, Semol Yamin, they have an understanding. Hashem gives them Siyat Adishmaya. And therefore they believe that the guy is, or she's holding money. So the Torah says that betting in such a case will tell the people you're not allowed to do business with this guy. And if she's a girl, you're not allowed to make a shiduch with her. And you're not allowed to offer her a, a, a good zivug. And you start to squeeze them until they confess, oh, I took the money. That means sometimes in order for justice to prevail, you need not judge the, pe- the, the person, but you need to judge the people. What I mean to say, says the Rav, the shafetu et ta'ab, you have to tell the people, you can't do business with this one. You can't marry this one. You can't go to their parties. So the judgment is on who? The judgment is on the Am. They're being told to behave in a certain way in order to bring Mishpat Sedek on the, on the Ganav. So that's a, that's a third interpretation. Okay, that uh, should be a, a zikhut for all of us. I guess one for Bener, one for Hayen, one for Mezoner, the three items. And the, the Rav sees we came out close to 11 o'clock at night and we spoke his Torah. And therefore, it should be, uh, it should be a zikhut for us that he should uh, advocate for all the good things that we need. Now, just one word of uh, Musab before we call it a night. We're in the month of Elul. It's an amazing thing. In yeshiva, Elul is a, is, is a yeshiva month. Outside, August, September. It's uh, last week of the summer, Labor Day. In, in, in outside of yeshiva, they talk a different language. They don't talk the Torah language that we have. In yeshiva, Eluzman, that's the way we talk. No, nobody knows what August or September, what anything else is. All we're thinking is, how many days to Rosh Hashanah? Which day are we up to in Orchot Chaim Leharosh? Which, uh, you know, what's, the, what's, what's our, uh, 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 you know, said that... I once spoke uh, for the yeshiva, I guess, I think it's Long Beach, Fagelstock. And uh, also was a Talmud of uh, Ravon Kutler. And he was an old man at the time. And uh, I got up and I sat in front of whoever was assembled, I guess rich men, it was a parlor meeting. I said, Abotai, everybody is part of one of two worlds. There's two worlds. And everybody could be classified to be part of one of those two worlds. There's the yeshiva world and there's Disney World. That's it. So everybody start to laugh like you're laughing. So the Rosh Hashiva turned, well, what did he say? What did he say? He speaks Yiddish. So they told him, he says, he's right. That's a, that's a, good, a, good, a good statement, proper. 
Uh, the rest of the world is Disney World. Everybody's running around doing. This is already the yeshiva. It's a, it's a world up to its own. And I said that night, it's, it's so beautiful. The yeshiva world always existed. Even from the times of Hazal. You ever see when you're learning the Gemara, when the Gemara wants to say that the opinions are unanimous. Everybody agrees. What does the Gemara say? Kule alma lo pelige. Kule alma? Kule alma? Kula Alma is seven continents. Kula Alma is uh, 15 billion. Kula, it's, it's the 50 guys in Yeshiva Yavne that, uh, that, that came to a uh, unanimous decision. But to the 50 guys in Yeshiva Yavne, they're saying, this is the world. What, 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 China's the world? What's the world over there? Nobody ever knew the world? What, what's the world exactly over there? Kula Alma, this is the world over here. The, the world of the Yeshiva has decided. So if we're 50 guys learning in Yeshiva Yavne, that's the official world today. So they looked at themselves as a world within the... Within a world, a real world within a, let's say, a, a fake world, or a world of illusion, or something like that. So we know exactly what the month represents, the month of Elul. We're well aware of it. Elul's man, although it's from the shortest zmanim uh, of the year, but it's the most intense. And it's the most concentrated, and it's the, the, the most energy is uh, expended uh, during the month of Elul. And Elul is very lucky in that it is the beneficiary of many Rashet Tevot, more than any other month. That's a mazal. And everybody knows the classics, what Elul stands for. That we know that represents the love that Hashem has for us and we have for him. The Sofet Tevot is the four Yudin, which represents the 40 days that Moshe Rabbeinu went up. One that's not so well known from Megillat Esther, Elul Hashem Tevot, Ish Ehu Umatanot Le'evyonim, which reminds us that not only should we be concerned Ben Adam Lamakom, Ani Dodi, but don't forget Ish Ehu. And there's a guy to your right, there's a guy to your left, especially you're in Yeshiva. Yeshiva, we don't only work on Ben Adam Makom, but we, it's a great opportunity to work on Evyonim. We were able to work on our Midot. Uh, this is a place where we're able to refine our character, to prepare ourselves before we get married, to learn how to live with somebody, to learn how to be a, a giver, not a taker, not to be selfish. It's a great opportunity in Yeshiva. It's, uh, we have to focus on the on the on the Anila Dudi, but you shouldn't forget the other one as well. I think they say Rabbi Shel Salanta was once walking to Shul on Rosh Hashanah, by, by the night, and uh, he wanted to know the time. And he saw somebody walking by, and the guy was already in thought, and he was whatever. And uh, he tells him, "Excuse me, have the time." And the guy just walks right by him. So Rabbi Shel Salanta says, oh, well, well, "Just because he wants to make teshuvah, whatever, why can't he give me the time?" <laughs> Because he's so serious, he's, his mind's in the olamot, so that's his, it's his problem. Why, 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 why can't he stop for a second? Tell me it's uh, 7.30. Uh, he's, too, he's too busy. So that's Ani Ledudi, but he forgets Ishla de Ehu. So we have to have that balance. It's not so easy, but I think that's what Elu comes to tell us as well. But I want to tell you what the Arizal said, and it's also brought down from the Shlach Kadosh. A very uh, surprising Rashi Tevot. And he gets it from the Eid Miklat, from the cities of refuge. The cities of refuge were those 
cities where the Rotseyach B'Shogeg would run and meet out a sentence until uh, the Kohen Gadol died. And if you look in Parashat Mishpatim, when it talks about the Eid Miklat, it says, Elohim, Ina liyado lecha. That God uh, ordained it, and this murder came to his hands, therefore, Ina liyado lecha, and the Pasuk ends, Makom, which is the Eid Miklat, When I saw this Arizal, and it's surprised because we always look at Eden Miklat as a location. It's a geographical place. And here, Darizah is telling us that there's a different type of Eden Miklat. It's an Eden Miklat in time. That means when we enter the month of Elul, we are entering some sort of uh, time warp. And in this... Uh, uh, measure of time, it is like we are entering an Eden Miklat. Which brings me to the big question. Listen, we're not Sadiqim. We all have what to fix. But I don't think unintentional manslaughter is one of our Averot that we're, we need to make tikkun on, that we need to get to an Eden Miklat. I mean... If you wanted to send me to some rehab for Lashon Hara or for other types of more common sins that we commit, I don't have a problem with that. But you, you, you're sending the whole nation into an Edomiklat of time when most of the nation never committed the crime that warrants an Edomiklat in the first place. That was my question. And I put some thought into it. And I came to say a big hadush. And I believe it's emet and it's a musar. The Eid Miklat is for the unintentional murderer. For the one that took away somebody's life. And we might say, by extension, that the Eden Miklat of Elul is the punishment, or is the place, punishment is not the right word, is the place where we rectify the murderer of life Bishogeg. And who did we kill? Ourselves. We are not only the murderer, but we are the victim of our own crime. Because what is life? Life is living life. Like we said before, Tamid Hakam, take advantage of our time. Life is made up of units of time. Avraham at the end of his life came with his days. Every day was accounted for. There was no waste. There was no day that was Labatala. If Abraham lived 175 years, he lived 175 years. Every day was accounted for. <clears throat> and then we have to analyze ourselves. Yeah, we have a three and a half hour seder. But if you filter it out, 
between all the <clears throat> extraneous interruptions, then you start to see that we don't have 60-minute hours, <clears throat> and we might not be living life to the fullest. And that's a form of murder. Not to somebody else, but to ourselves. We've deprived ourselves from our own lives. The bitul zeman, the bitul of the of purpose. And I will be the first one to say, none of us do it bimezid, shogeg, we have the yetzerara bothering us all day long, we have the tumataamim and galut, I mean, we have a lot of people to blame it on. So we'll call ourselves shugay. Nobody gets up in the morning and intentionally is, uh, you know, wants to be a, a poshaya. It just works out that way by the end of the day. But nobody got up with, and said, I want to kill myself today. No. You woke up and saying, it's going to be a great day. And whatever. So that's very, very significant. I think there's another hadush about this, Eid Miklat. First of all, it's a Eid Miklat of time. But the second hadush, I think, is even bigger. Normally, when the Rotseyach goes to the Eid Miklat, he doesn't meet the one that he killed. I mean, for good reason. Because <laughs> he killed him. He's not around anymore. But in the Ir Miklat of Elul, the murderer actually meets the victim. The perpetrator meets the victim because it's the same guy. Which gives us time to contemplate. But Olam gives us this tikkun of entering the time of Ir Miklat where we could fix ourselves. Actually, it's a gift where Borei Olam lets us be with ourselves in order to make the right reparation or the right adjustments that are needed that our lives should be more fulfilling. They should be more lively. They should be more vibrant. V'hai bahem. V'hai bahem. We have to live by the Torah. Not enough just to, you know, believe in it and our lives must, our hiyut must come from Torah. That's what should get us ticking and, and excited. All the other things in life, uh, you know, okay, it's, a, it's an interruption. But when it comes to the learning, we have a hiyut, all of a sudden, it's like you talk to some people about sports, you get, you get them all roared up, all riled up. <clears throat> That's what ticks, another guy calls, all of a sudden the guy never says anything, but all of a sudden he wakes up and starts to talk. Everybody has their item. Our hayut should come from learning, from ruhniyut. And it lose the time that we reflect on ourselves, that are we living enough? Or maybe unintentionally we're squandering a lot of that, that time that in America they say wasting time, or even there's a, 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 a very vulgar terminology of killing time. We hear the young guys, ah, I'm going to go out to the mall, kill, kill a few hours. Kill a few hours. Now that needs an Eden Miklat. That needs an Eden Miklat. The good news is, is that Elul has something in it 
even in the Arizal talks about there's certain kohot in Elul. You'd give them midot rahamim a manifest during Elul. <coughs> there's kabanot, kabanavderech, when you get older we'll learn it. But there's definitely something different in the air in Elul than there is in, you know, Marhajvan, that's for sure. And therefore we must take advantage of it. The kohot that this month has, especially if you're in a yeshiva, gives you the ability to become a little more aware of that unintentional ritzihah. Not on the other, but on the self. It gives us a month's time. We don't have to wait for the death of the Kohen Gadol. The Ir Miklat sets you free on Rosh Hashanah, hoping that you have rehabilitated yourself for the coming year. And therefore it is my berachah uh, to the members that are assembled, the B'nai Torah here, and the Kolel here in Deal. You don't remember, boys. The Kolel didn't always look like this. When we were growing up, I'll just tell you one story because I don't get to tell my stories too much. But now that I got people that are listening once, so just so these stories are on record. When me and my friends were in Sharet Torah, 1982. Sharet Torah is a school in Brooklyn. <laughs> and it started with nine boys. And I was one of the nine. I went to Mag and David. And then I graduated. I was the only kid from Mag and David that went to Sharet Torah. Everybody else was random. One guy came from Torah Tamima, one guy came from Russia, another guy from Halab, another guy. And I'm there, a regular Syrian guy came in. All, all they ended up becoming my best friends. But that was, that was what it was. <clears throat> and we started in ninth grade to learn Masechet Sukkah. And uh, Rabbi Hill, Heber, may live and be well, said to us, boys, uh, whoever accepts upon themselves to finish Masechet Sukkah over the summer, you know, they get a prize. And I'm going to give you the prize just for accepting. And what was the prize? He didn't give out Zed Shimshon. He gave us Rabbi Miller's uh, book, uh, rejoice, O youth. <laughs> Those days you can get away with giving a gift like that. And we, we were very excited. And he gave somebody else Sihot Musar from Rebchaim Shmuel Levitz. And I asked Rebbe, hey, but can I get one of those also? So I thought I would like that book. And I still have that copy. It's worn out. Sihot Musar that I got in 1982 for accepting upon myself to finish my second sukkah. And we came to deal. Deal didn't look like this, boys. But you call it the books, and there was nothing. There was the Kolel on Wikipeco Road, the windy road over there, and uh, nothing going on at night. At night, there was maybe six or seven rabbis that were there, older guys, no young guys. There were no night programs. Abruto, there was nothing. Lawrence Avenue, Racham Baruch used to close it at seven o'clock and double lock it. And nobody ever called them up and said, could you open the shul? There's no reason. Nobody wanted to go back to the shul after 7 o'clock. Come back tomorrow morning. <clears throat> and even if you got the key, what were you going to steal? A Tehillim book? A Chokli Israel? There was nothing there. <laughs> so me and my friends, it was Elliot Raymond Lignano. I don't know, maybe they're even here tonight, Elliot Raymond. They were my best friends at the time, still very close friends. So me and Elliot Raymond said, where are we going to learn? Where are we going to learn? So we said, oh, we're going to go to the Kolel. Who's there? We rode our bicycles, could you imagine, at night, on the windy road. Every night we got to the Kolel, me, Elie, and Raymond, and there was a Rabbi Azachi at the time, and he taught us Masechet Sukkot, we finished it. And you should know, it made the front pages of the community newspapers. There's three boys in the community 
that are coming out at night to learn Torah. And they said our names. They said us by name. And it was considered such a, a splash in the community. Oh, what's going on over here? And there's three boys that are going to night sale. We never saw this. And the guys, the Kulil, loved it. Look at this. I'm telling you, there was not more than three guys in the Kulil besides us, and we finished, we finished. So when a, when, a, when a little older guy comes in and sees this, I'm able to see what was. Uh, I saw the Hurban. So I'm able to appreciate the, you know, the, the reconstruction of it. Uh, you boys are a little spoiled because you're born into it, and therefore you assume that uh, it was always like this. It was, it was not remotely like this. It was, it was much different, and we didn't have the energy or the... And we were, you know, the religious tzaddikim praised us, and everybody else said, you're crazy, and everybody else, you know, uh, thought that we were going down a... A, a strange path, and they were probably right because we were in the minority. Today, Baruch Hashem, it's not like that anymore. Today, the Bnei Torah uh, starting to become a, uh, it's still a mi'ut, but it's a mi'ut hanikar. Uh, we were a mi'ut that was batel. <laughs> this is a mi'ut hanikar, and it's a it's nikar, mamash. It's a, it's a hatikar, and it's a davar she'enu mit batel. It's something that's chashuv. So, my uh, lesson to you boys is that you should continue in your studies. Live life. Don't waste it. Don't, uh, don't squander it. Take advantage of And Be'ezat Hashem will come to the Yamim Nuraim and we'll have Be'ezat Hashem Shanatovam Borechet and the Zer Hashem Shon, the great rabbi, should be a Yosher for all of us and make a Yiratzot. Amen.